You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. Dreaming of a better sleep? Tossing and turning is not your destiny. And Ollie is here to help. Ollie invites you to sink into sweet, sweet slumber to improve your mental and physical health and overall wellness. More than just melatonin, Ollie's ingredients help you unwind your mind for a delightfully dreamy drift off. Sleep is on the way at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. Hey, what's up, everyone? I'm Matt Migaki, the vocalist of Cryptopsy and the host of the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast, where I sit down with fellow metal musicians. We talk all about their lives and music while sharing killer craft beers. If you've ever wanted to sneak backstage and share a beer with one of your favorite musicians, well, Vox and Hops is the podcast for you. This week on the podcast, I dropped an amazing episode with Jason Nitz of Warforged and Spent Case. There's this episode and over 440 other ones to help you enjoy life, metal, and craft beer. So what are you waiting for? It's time to become a Vox and Hops head. Cheers. What is happening? Welcome to another episode of the podcast. Thank you so much for hanging out with me. Seriously, I know there are a lot of things you could be doing, and I say this a lot. I say this an awful lot. I know there are a lot of things you could be doing, but the fact that you are going to spend time with me right now means a lot. It really, 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 really does. Thank you so much for hanging out, for all the support. This wild world we're living in is uh, chock full of other things to pay attention to. So thank you for tuning into this show and you know, letting it be a part of your day. Thank you. I want to get right into this episode, but before I do, I just want to remind you of a way you can support the show if you so choose, and that is by doing your shopping at tonemob.com slash Sweetwater. Seriously, if you're planning on buying gear from Sweetwater, tonemob.com slash Sweetwater is the place to do it. It helps out in a very, very, very huge way a portion of every purchase comes right back and helps support the show, and it doesn't cost you anything extra. So if you are planning on buying some gear, tonemob.com slash Sweetwater is a way that you can have your cake, and I can have a little bite of it too. So please check that out if you are doing any gear purchasing anytime soon, and I really, really appreciate it. Okay, that's enough plugging. Let's get right into this episode with my dude, Anthony J. Resta. You're going to like this. Here we go. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Tone Mob Podcast, the show about guitar stuff occasionally, sometimes. I'm your host, Blake Weiland, and with me today, I have Anthony J. Resta. What's going on, dude? Hey, man. Thanks for having me. Yeah, dude. This should be a good time. This is one of those wonderful, weird occurrences where we met through the power of the interwebs and just hit it off right away. So this should be a great, a great chat, I think. Looking forward to it. So for my listeners that may not be familiar with you, this is going to be a really difficult thing for you to do, uh, yeah. but perhaps we can try to condense your, you know, 30 plus year history yeah. <laughs> into a digestible, who are you and what do you do and why are we talking today type of thing? Oh, wow. So, well, I mean, I, I'm a multi-instrumentalist, producer, composer. I've been doing this full time since uh, the late 80s, early 90s. Um, it's it's such a long story. I slept under a grand piano for like several years before I got my first break, you know, stuff like that. Mm -hmm. But, uh, you know, I, I'm the most well-known for my first big client was Duran Duran, and we had quite a run uh, from like 94 all to about 2000. Um, worked on about 30 different songs as a programmer, producer, drummer, sound designer, all that stuff, and mm -hmm. a mixer with my buddy Bob St. John who's a multi-Grammy mixer. We worked as a team on all that stuff. So that opened up a lot of doors for me. And then from there, you know, I got management and started working with, you know, a lot more well-known artists. Um, mm -hmm. You know, people can, you know, Elton John, Collective Soul, um, just to name a couple, but there's, there's quite a list. Um, right. And well, lots of amazing independent artists, some of my best stuff. Yeah, I mean, and then uh, where, where a lot of people may not be aware of we talk to a lot of guitar players on this show, right? Just primarily talking about the pedals and amps and tubes and yep. all that stuff. But I think a producer is somewhat of a misunderstood role. I think it can mean so many different things that the general public 
doesn't even really know what that means anymore. Sometimes people are called producers when they're programming beats in their bedroom. Sometimes they're producers when they work with artists in a more traditional sense the way you are. Sometimes people just get producer credits for no reason. Uh, so <laughs> what, what, That's right. what, is, what is your definition of the, of the term? Um, well, the old school definition, what I grew up with being in the business was basically it's the musical version of the director of the movie. So, you know, you're picking a, the landscape of the entire song, the personnel, the tempo, the vibe, you know, targeting a market, like where is this going to land and what can I do to make this song and this artist, you know, click. So, you know, there's, there's all kinds of different responsibilities. There's fiscal responsibilities, you know, keeping on time in a budget and there, there, that's, there's that side of it. But then there's like the overall, you know, big picture, like zooming out and being able to micromanage thousands of decisions every day to get an outcome that you, you, you have a broad sense of what, what you're trying to do. And you have to be on the same page as the artist or otherwise it's never going to work, you know? And how would somebody who is maybe interested in pursuing that more traditional version what would you suggest to somebody starting out in 2022? How would you even get to that point where you were organizing a session like that? I think it happens like with people through, it, it's it's kind of like a natural progression. If you start like putting recordings together with your friends or various bands or whatever, and it really starts to click and people notice, wow, this sounds amazing. I want to work with that guy. Mm-hmm. That's where, that's where it starts, you know, and then, and then you, you pull it together, your resources. And I think I've always surrounded myself with really brilliant people. I mean, like I never take all the credit, like that's, I'm, I love to share all the incredible people that I've worked with over the years, you know, arrangers, uh, orchestrators, conductors, my, this engineer, Cariati Suteja, who I work with daily for 25 years, he's a, a monster. So it's like, I, I'm nothing without all these people. So the producer has to rely on a team. Mm-hmm. Um, really. I mean, in the old school sense, nowadays, there's a lot of people, like you said, they just make a beat and then they, you know, and that, that's, you know, that's like hip hop and pop, but all, you know, even hip hop records, I just worked on a really massive hip hop record with a really well-known hip hop artist. We can get into that later, but you know, it was really involved. We had, you know, orchestral cues and everything. So it's like, it's different for every single artist and every single project. You know? mm-hmm. Sounds like the answer is just start working on stuff and putting it out there <laughs> and see what happens. I, it's so much harder. I mean, it's, it's so much, I mean, now we have all these incredible tools. Everybody has them. So in a lot of ways, the, the playing field is a, a, is leveled a bit. Mm-hmm. So everybody has the, all these opportunities. But the, the, the flip side of that is there's 6,000 songs a day coming out or something, or it might even be 60,000 a day. It's like, it wasn't like that when I started. Like to get in a real recording studio and record a real record cost a lot of money. Yeah. And it, it, so it was hard. It wasn't, there, there wasn't a lot of people do, doing it at that level. So I think it's a much harder today for kids. And I feel, you know, that even though they have all this technology and all these opportunities at the same time, it's harder to get noticed because there's this flood of stuff, you know? And the reason I think we're so busy is the, all the, the software and all these amazing tools don't come with, you know, all the hundreds of thousands of hours of experience. Right. So that's where we come in. You know, it's like we, we help people take their ideas to a new and bigger place, you know? Yeah. It's such an interesting, like, career to me because when you are primarily known as a producer, you get the opportunity to do so many different things. You know, you look at somebody super famous like uh, Rick Rubin, for example. And sure. for the most obvious example, you can see just the wide palette of artists that he's worked with over the years. You yourself have worked with an extremely wide i mean i just listened to that spotify list that you sent me and it was just like this is all over the place and so it how do you get your mindset like say if you're going into you know a a duran duran session and then you got to flip it and go into like maybe a more hard rock band and then a hip-hop band you know in in two weeks is it difficult to get the mindset changed um it it can be if it's if it's quick, if you spend like six months on something every day and then all of a sudden like you have three days off and then you're like starting another record that's like death metal or something, which mm-hmm. I actually have, I've done a couple of those and that, that can be like um, a 70 mile an hour haircut. <laughs> <laughs> you know, no, it really can be. I mean, and I love hard rock. I mean, I, I grew up, I mean, as a kid, fanatic Sabbath, you know, I'm, I'm from that like late seventies, you know, Zeppelin, Pink Floyd, but, but I loved like, you know, even like Iron Maiden and I, I, I just loved heavy guitars. I, I always have. So like, mm-hmm. I enjoy that stuff, but you do have to switch gears, you know, and switch, switch around your brain. 
yeah, it's it's such a it's such an interesting thing to think about because I think as artists primarily we tend to just do our thing. Like this is our thing that we do. We are a punk rock band. We are a whatever sure. you know right. singer yeah, songwriter yeah. and trying to and trying to cross genres, which I think happens more now than it used to. But trying to cross 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 genres. There we go. I did it. Uh, is is something that can be really challenging for a lot of people, myself included. So it's yeah. it's an interesting skill set to have. I loved uh, I loved your record, by the way. It was really innovative and cool. What are some of your influence? I know I'm not supposed to be interviewing you, but uh, I mean, <laughs> I heard fine. like Radiohead and like all kinds of cool stuff in your music. Tell me a little bit about your thing. Thank you so much. Uh, yeah. What's weird about it, and the listeners know this, is like this isn't that's not really. I had to I had to accept that that's what I kind of do because yeah. I don't really listen to a lot of music like that. Yeah, you know, I've heard Radiohead uh, get mentioned a few times, Godspeed You Black Emperor, and a few other things get it, get compared to. And I'm like, I've never really listened to that stuff. Oh, that's cool that you just do your own thing, though. Yeah. And um, that's where we were talking about. Yeah, exactly. So I started to more. It might sound really weird to people that like I, I've never actively avoided Radiohead. I've just never really pursued them. And I feel like I'm probably missing out on a lot of stuff that I would really enjoy. But yeah, I can't. Definitely. I can't really count them as an influence at this point. But they probably. I know that they influenced my influences. So you know, Absolutely. maybe maybe yeah. by proxy, I am getting a little bit of that. But no, I, I very much come from that uh, punk rock metalcore. You know, yep. early cool. early early two thousands warp tour scene. That's kind of okay. uh, That's kind that's of cool. my my background and outlaw country and a bunch of other stuff growing up. But yeah, cool. So I don't know where it came from, but. I told my wife when I was in the middle of making it, I'm like, I don't know what to do with this. This is not like anything that I even understand. And she's like, <laughs> and she's like, maybe this is what you do. And then that was like a light bulb moment for me. Like, oh, maybe it, it doesn't have to be what I listen to. It doesn't yeah. have to be. It's, I like it. I'm happy with it. And it's that an should be good enough. Yeah. yeah, that's good enough for me. So. That's cool. <clears throat> but I, I'm I'm so happy to hear that you liked it. That means a lot yeah. coming from somebody with your level of experience. Oh, I listened to the whole thing. It was really cool. Thank you. I so love much. sound bites. You know, like I I grew up on like like I said Pink Floyd and stuff, and I love like those those weird found sound things. I don't know where you got some of those, but there's some pretty far out stuff. I love it. Well, the only one that I didn't record myself was the very intro. Okay. Um, that that's a little bit of a dark story, uh, but that's basically the what you're hearing there is a Russian cosmonaut falling down in a fail a failed rocket and that's oh, like wow. the last that's the last recording that they oh, had that's of heavy him. yeah wow. <laughs> yeah it w- but everything else was uh was stuff that i recorded out in the field super the, cool the trains the what do you use like a zoom or what do you have for that uh the most of the time it was just my phone with the uh sure mv88 which is like oh, a cool. stereo stereo mic you can plug into oh, it just because get one of those oh they're great they're really great especially for like for how convenient it is and the yeah. quality is really nice. So most of the time it was that. Um, but the main title, uh, which you probably heard where the guy was getting arrested, yeah. that yeah. was really a guy getting arrested. Oh, wow. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that makes it even more cool. Yeah. And his name was Tom, apparently. Uh, so I then constructed the story around that guy. Oh, that's uh, cool. And I haven't ever revealed the full story, but uh, there's a few listeners that actually got really, really close with their with their assumptions. Oh wow! I'm not sure if I'll ever reveal it fully, but yeah. Anyway, awesome. Yeah. Enough about me. Uh, okay. Let's, let's talk about that studio you're sitting in. Okay. I'm, just, I'm looking at it all here. On the listeners, obviously can't see it, but it's it's a really nice looking place. Tell me about it. Um, well, it's here in Laurel Canyon, which is just steeped in music history um, in the Los Angeles area. It's up in the hills. In the 60s, this was like a mecca for artists. There was, you know, the Turtles and Joni Mitchell, Jackson Brown, um, the Monkees. I mean, it was like a, just a giant, like, artist mecca. And yeah. um, there's a lot of studios up here in these in, in these parts, up in the mountains. Uh, you don't really feel like you're in Los Angeles. Like, you, I close the gate, and it's like I could be in Maine. And, you know. Oh, wow. I, 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 I'm Canadian. I grew up in Canada, a lot of fishing, hunting and all that. So for me, it just really kind of made living in Los Angeles like, okay, because I, I worked at some really great studios here the first few years, like mm-hmm. Paramount and, and Encore. And I had rooms there uh, for, you know, two and three years. Um, 
and I loved it, but it was like the hustle and bustle of the city and getting chased by homeless people and big <laughs> hip hop parties and all that stuff. It just, after a while, it's, it, it just kind of wears on you. So now I'm autonomous. Uh, mm-hmm. I think that, that's the word. And it's just, it's heaven. So I found this, this was Howie Weinberg's old mastering facility. There's three studios on the property and he moved up to the the one on the top of the hill, he wanted a smaller room. This room's kind of a little bit ambient because it's pretty big. Yeah. Um, and he did, you know, like a dozen years of records here. I mean, I saw some of the records on the wall where, you know, there's like a Nirvana and like Chili Peppers and Smashing Pumpkins, all kinds of stuff. I mean, Howie's a legend. And I see every day people walk by my door to go up to, to him. Mm-hmm. So it's in a, a great location. I'll be like, off there sipping coffee. And I'll go, there goes Steven Tyler, you know. And, oh, there goes the dude from uh, you know, 30 Seconds to Mars. You know? right. There's the dude from Foster the People. It's really cool. So I've met a, a lot of people up here. It's really, really great. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's, it's a cool place. I, I tend to like, I don't have a ton of experience, but I tend to prefer studios that are kind of out of the way. You know, and more like tucked up in the woods somewhere. Yeah. It's just it's, a, fun. it's just a good vibe for me. I, I like it. It's kind of a tourist destination. I mean, like I've had, I had a band here from um, Kentucky, you know, recording a country album and, um, and they were, you know, they're, they're like a mile and a half from the the boulevard where all the stars are, you know, it's like, so Mm -hmm. we're up in the hills, but we're also close to all this tourist stuff. So it's a really fun place for people to come as a recording destination and hang out. Yeah, that's kind of ideal. That's really, yeah. really cool. Lucked out. Yeah, and the room is designed by George Augsburger, who's one of the you know, famous acousticians. I can't pronounce it. Acoutis- Ascout- I can't say that. Can you say I, it? I think you said it right the first time, but yeah, okay, I, have a, yeah, I struggle yeah, anyway. with that one too. <laughs> yeah, he designed the room, and I guess he spent an enormous amount of time, to, you know, and uh, he moved this one wall to my left like 18 inches to make it right. And I've had like hip-hop artists open their laptop and play a song and go, oh my God, I've never heard anything like this just from listening to their laptop. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> there is something magical about the room. You know, you record drums in it and it's got this like wet, dry thing. It's really special. You know? That's really cool. Yeah, the, the rooms that you record in, I think a lot of people don't realize how big of an impact it has. So like one of my friends was a big studio nerd and he built this really, really nice studio and spent a ton of time and hired the people to come in and do all yep. the measurements and that stuff way beyond my brain sure. and uh because he's kind of nerdy about that stuff i when i built the shed he was like hey give me your room dimensions i want to run the ratios and see what it is and i'm like cool i don't, I don't that's know. awesome like, yeah, you, know? you need that <laughs> and and i mean i, I it was kind of stuck it was going to be what it was so i measured it all and, and sent it to him and he he messaged me back he's like who gave you these dimensions i was like my yard and he's like they're <laughs> really good and it does tend to sound pretty good out here uh i don't have to most of that record was actually not all of it but 90 percent of it was two amps with mics and a room mic and me with a a ton of effects uh and just and that's it just that's it like i didn't do anything else i did very little in the way of like uh eq and compression and stuff I just kind of match the levels. That's why it and, sounds so good. Yeah, and it's it's the room is a lot of it. <laughs> oh, sure it is. I I spent twenty years in a room in Boston. I moved to LA nine years ago, and we had this enormous big mill space, like mm-hmm. twenty foot high ceilings and brick and beam, and we were in there for twenty years, and it was my kingdom. And I I, I you know it's gonna it's never gonna go away. I mean, I have so many memories, but it was one of those things. It wasn't a, a, an acoustically perfect space. Uh, but it was there was just magic the way the wood sounded and the and the, the it just it was a, a many many records there and mm-hmm. you know I'm I, I'm gonna miss it for the rest of my life because it was like I could pace on the phone it was like four thousand square feet it was insane I could, fit, I could fit a dozen of these in it you know and I'll send you pictures of that sometimes I had this I mean I had giant brass birds and like it was like a, it was like Pee Wee's Playhouse. You know? <laughs> That's uh, amazing. Yeah, so, so I cool. missed that. But, you know, what I did was I sold, I've been selling stuff for like eight years. I had just way too much gear. I mean, I had stuff in another whole studio in storage. I've got Optagons in storage with all the discs. I mean, I just accumulated so much stuff over the last three decades um, that there was just no place to put it in LA. You can't have a place that big. It's not It's not affordable. So I, I've been, you know, so I've streamlined down to this and this is all my favorite stuff now, you know. So you know, mm-hmm. it's mostly filled with guitars and pedals and modular synths and stuff. Perfect. That sounds ideal to cool. me. That's exactly what I'm shooting for. Well, Fill it with guitars and pedals yeah. and modular synths eventually. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. Do you see yourself staying in LA permanently? 
Huh, that's a tough one. Um, my my, I have four kids and and my wife. They love it here. Um, they're in ballet and karate and French and they're you know they have so much going on that it would be hard to to move away with four children. But you know, I I could foresee myself being in like Prague. You know. Oh yeah. Uh, you know, I mean, like, because I lo- I just I love that the the orchestras there are affordable and it sounds amazing and I've spent quite a bit of time there and at some point I mean I would consider relocating but you know LA has a lot of opportunities and it's open doors that I never could have opened anywhere else so I have to say I'm probably going to be here for a while gotcha gotcha yeah it's always an interesting thing because while it matters a lot less than it used to your location it's still like you know every time I go to go back to Nashville I'm just like wow I have so many people here like it's always a little bit tempting like hmm I love where I live I love the the Oregon wilderness but uh I, I sometimes I'm like Nashville would be very beneficial career-wise for me. Yeah, to it would go be. I mean, Nashville is just a mecca too. It's like um, I spent a ton of time in the 2000s there. I worked a lot with uh, Peter Hulk Collins, who's a really famous record producer from England. Who you know, 100 million records. I used to do a lot of like keyboards and programming stuff for him. And I fell in love with Nashville. I just I spent months there, and I really fell in love with it. I could have ended up there just as easily. I don't know. Just I don't know. Yeah, it's great. <laughs> So when you are, so when you're working with an artist, let's say you got a brand new person come in there and it yeah. doesn't matter what genre they are. Like, where do you start with them? You ha- say like, oh. play me one of your songs or do you, or like, do you, that, that's a great question. Yeah. Well, the, usually the first thing I do is through an email exchange is I'll say, I, I want you to send me five things that are absolutely the most passionate, like things that in your heart, like just make you crazy when you listen to them, like make you so mad that you didn't do it. Like, okay. And I would say like three to five that have happened in the past five years and maybe three in the past, you know, five that have happened, you know, in your entire life. Mm -hmm. And I want to get to know those songs intimately. And I will spend a lot of time listening to them because, and I want them to also tell me what they love about each one of these. It's a little bit of an assignment, you know, and it's a little bit of an assignment for me to spend some time listening to it. But I think it's super important to get on the inside of what somebody's ultimate goal is, you know? Yeah. I mean, you, you're not ultimately want to rip off your favorite artist, but like you want, there's whatever is in there that inspires you and makes you excited. What You need to like analyze what that is and, and how you can find your your own way there with your own material. That's such, yeah. an, that's such a cool idea because you, you know, like there's, everybody has an artist or a handful of artists that made them do what they're doing now. Exactly. Whether directly or indirectly. You fell in love with music on some level because of what they did. And so trying to wrap your brain around that and understand that and like, yeah, maybe the hip hop guy loves Johnny Cash and you wouldn't have otherwise known that, you know? <laughs> like, right? No, it's 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 really important. And and I think once I, and, you know, and then we after we exchange some ideas and, you know, generally I'd like to start with one song. Like, let, let's do a song and see how it all goes, you know, and, and see if everybody, you know, is excited about it. And I find most times, I mean, over 20 years or whatever, we have like a 97% repeat business rate because we pay such close attention to what people want and what they're doing that we f- help them find themselves. I mean, and that's like, not like every record producer, like a lot of people have an agenda, like they have their own thing and it's like, you know, they're, they're get out of my way. This is what we're going to do. You know, it's like, I've never been like that. I'm a total like team person. So Mm -hmm. I think that's one one of the reasons why I think being up in, we're in a hospitality industry. If you think about it, you know, Hmm. Um, you know, you have to make people comfortable. You have to make, you have to get great performances out of them and they're not going to get great performances if they're uncomfortable. You know, I mean, there are people that work that way. They make people terrified and then they get great performances out of them. That happens too. (laughs) I've I've been around producers like that, you know, but uh, it's not my style, you know, I, like I don't think I would t- want to work with Phil Spector. I'll just be honest. Yeah, there's a lot of <laughs> lot of stories. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no no thanks. You're not going to get the best performance out of me under those conditions. It'll be bad. Yeah, it's uh, it's, it's a relationship, you know. It's like and, and trust. There's got to be a lot of trust because they, you know, people you're you're making literally hundreds if not thousands of decisions about minute details as you go and some you have to have trust if you don't have trust then there's really no reason to hire the person because if you i always say if you're going to do all the barking you don't need a bulldog (laughs) (laughs) that's that's true that's true that's the thing is like well there's no point in having a producer that you don't trust because then yeah. you're just going to yeah. question everything that they do and do the opposite. So why even have yeah. them involved? At exactly. All? It's 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 not <laughs> it's not going to work. Yeah. And it's not every it's not for everybody. You know. Hmm. 
you know have you had to be had have you had to stop mid session and just be like you know man I just don't think this is going to work. Oh yeah. I mean, it, it, in all these years, I can only think of like maybe three times, but yeah, it has happened. And they're funny, funny stories. I'll just give you one. Okay. I'm ready. <laughs> so I'm working with this band from Maine and like we have this, I, you know, I go into a, a rehearsal room and I, you know, I sweat with the guys, no air conditioning and we work out all these arrangements and, you know, I work out the kick drum patterns for all the sections of the songs. It was heavy, you know? Yeah. And, uh, and we're, we're going to do it now. We're, you know, we're going to go in the studio and do it. And we go in to, to record the first song, and all of a sudden, the guitar player is behind the drums, and he's showing the drummer, placa, 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 placa. He's like playing like uh, seven against like you know whatever, like like Rush, and he's like, "This mm-hmm. is the new intro." <laughs> You're like, "Wait, what?" <laughs> and I'm like, uh, "No, it isn't." <laughs> and then I'm like, "I think I need to go for a walk." <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I uh, I didn't come back, so. <laughs> I see. I see. Yeah. Like, yeah. It's only only a few of those. I'm going to go get the proverbial pack of cigarettes. I will be back. Never. So basically (laughs) they got rid of him and then we finished the the project. So there you go. So it all worked out. Yeah. It's uh, it's such a touchy thing. And, and, you know, people, you you could get annoyed. Right. But you also can realize like, you know, he he wasn't doing that necessarily because he was hearing what he hears. He's hearing what he hears. Yeah. And he wanted to be like Rush and he's in the wrong band. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's and yeah. that's that's fine. That happens sometimes, and <laughs> and it's yeah, it's it's a different thing. I you know I recorded a record with my band, my old band. Yeah. Um, we're all still friends. We just don't really play together anymore. Well, that's just, a miracle. That's good. Know, well, just <laughs> everybody. It was never a. It was never a project. It was a. It was a passion project. Yeah. But you know, most of us had kids at the time. I had one on the way. We knew we were never going to go on tour. It was just like, we want to make this record really, yeah. really badly. And so we grounded out for several years, practicing and writing and practicing and writing. And and I am really proud of the record we made. Um, but yeah, there was definitely some headbutting oh, going on. Like, it was just like, why won't you just play the bass part? I am playing the bass part. No, you're not. It goes like this and you're playing. The, <laughs> and then it's like... Yeah, going, that's tough. And so going full solo and not really having any of that anymore is good and bad because then it's yeah. like, it's all no, you, on you. Yeah. You can't bounce ideas off anyone. Yeah. And weirdly enough, I always wanted to do a solo record, but I thought it was going to be like a singer songwriter thing. And clearly it's not at all. Yeah, so yeah. just whatever. Surprise. <laughs> hey, your neck, your second one might be something totally different. It well, doesn't so, have to be all the same. So that's what I, something I wanted to talk to you about actually, because this morning I was listening again to what I think, if I understood your text correctly, was your first solo rec- record. Yeah, your first solo record. Uh, I was listening to Skulls, Skulls, Skulls. Yeah. And I was like, I can't believe I'm hearing this right now. I literally just did something, not the same story or anything, but yeah. super similar vibe just because I'd been listening to too much Tom Waits. And yeah, uh, I love Tom Waits, as you can tell. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And so I listened to that. I was like, this is so cool. This is like really similar to what I'm shooting for for a full record. Oh, I'm nice. Kind of, yeah. So I got this whole story I'm working on that'll, that's going to be a concept. Yeah. Yeah. It'll be a written story, uh, a, an album, and an audiobook. Yep. And the the album oh, that's cool. will have the same like spoken parts as the audiobook, but they have to work rhythmically with each other. And they also, but it also has to work without any music. So it's proving challenging. But um, when I heard that, I was like, I heard some ideas in there. I was like, that's I'm cool. Getting, I'm going to utilize some of these ideas that he's. I, <laughs> I look forward to that. That that a lot of that stuff was uh, live to dat, like my my poetry part, because I would have like I think at the time I was using like an Akai KBS 1000 with two megs of RAM, like almost mm-hmm. everything was sequenced, and I had an eight track where I would dump like stereo mixes of whatever. Yeah, and uh, and and I'd run out of tracks. I'd be like during the mix, I'd be like moving the insert cables like yeah. to different part, in different parts of the songs. <laughs> Yes. Oh, man. So it was fun. But that's how I learned, you know. Um, That's how it all began. So this might be a fun thing to explore for the gear nerds of the world. That Supposedly, this show's about gear, but it rarely is anymore. Uh, (laughs) You've you've seen a ton of different recording technology over your time. Oh, yeah. So where have you landed? Like, what is your, what's the heart of your rig now? Okay. Well, I'll, I'll, I'll 
start from when I first started, everything was analog, obviously, because, you know, that's how we did it, two-inch analog. And then yep. I loved the sound of analog, and I listened to all those records, uh, and I still love the sound of them. There is something really gooey and warm and wonderful about analog. But as technology advanced and got better and better and better, I think we finally, like maybe only in the past five years, really, have reached a place where there's really no going back, you know? So mm -hmm. I'm, I'm in Pro Tools most of the time, but I... um I work in Ableton a little bit and Reason a little bit. And, uh, you know, so it, I'm kind of bouncing around. But my main station is uh, Workstations Pro Tools. And mm -hmm. some of the, you know, modeling th things that people model, you know, like Arteria is a company that's been really innovative in the, like the, some of the, the, the models of effects they have are, are it's, it's mind boggling how accurate they are. Like I say, a Mutron biphase, yeah. you know, the a Maestro, you know, biphase, Mutron mm -hmm. biphase. They're, I mean, they're they're so pricey, like they're thousands of dollars now. But like, honest to God, the plugin—I I used to rent one all the time. Like, and it sounds the same. I mean, so in other words, like the technology caught up with a lot of the vintage gear, and it really is hard. I mean, I hate to even be to say this because I mean, I was such a diehard for the longest time. You know, I really think the gap is narrower and narrower and narrower. You know, um, yeah, yeah. I, I think a lot of it has to do with the. Um, I think sonically, this is going to sound kind of kind of weird. I think, but sonically, I think it matters less, you know, these days because the because yep. the modeling's so good. Where the analog stuff still comes into play for me is how it makes you feel and play when you're playing it. You know, very true, very and, true. And so, because I, I can plug into a, I've got some pretty good amp sims that I'm yeah. really impressed with, but I don't play the same. I hear you. I, you know? I, I'm on, when it comes to guitar stuff, that's like another whole story. Mm -hmm. And I'm with you on that. I mean, I I like tube amps, you know, and they, there's nothing like tube amps. I've got a, yeah. a JM right to my right is this. I got a, a blonde '77 Marshall JMP. Mm. Um, and <laughs> and it, I mean, there's it's it's so creamy and gooey, and you can get like anything out of it, and you don't get that in a plugin. I mean, there are that. I think with guitar stuff specifically there as great as it is there's something still missing you know yeah yeah i'm with you i like to if i'm going to be recording i didn't really do this on that first record but right now if i'm going to be recording what i usually try to do is i have my analog well there's digital pedals in there too but like yeah. my tube amp rig set yeah. up and mic'd up and ready to rock and then i i, I also take a di and yeah. run oh, that smart. out too so then it's like, now I can have both. Like if I want to yeah. play around with other amps later, I can. But That's smart. The, the performance is this. It, I still get the performance. Aspect, I always tell people to do know? that to see when they, if they're going to send me something to mix and I can talk to them before they've tracked, I mm -hmm. say, take a DI of every guitar part because I can reamp it through here, through my stuff yep. and do that, you know, and I, I've fallen in love with, I became a SWORT artist this year, you know, the Atomic Space Tone. Oh yeah. Amps. I forgot and, uh, about those. Those are I'm, so cool. It's a holy grail. It's a holy grail amp. I mean, I sold, I mean, I sold my match list. That's how good it is. I mean, wow. it's, I mean, and I'm in love with it and it's like, it, yeah, it's got tube uh, reverb and tube tremolo and it's like, it's to die for. And I'm like, I can run your tracks through my amp, mm -hmm. you know, with your DI track and, yep. uh, and, and, you know, and blend it in with yours or, you know, so yeah, that's the smart, the smartest thing you can do is, is to take a DI. Yeah. So do you do a lot of remote work these yes. days? Then? Yeah. Well, it happened because of COVID, you know, like we were, I was freaking out because I mean, I'm, I have high overhead. I have employees. I have four kids. I mean, it's like when COVID hit, it was, it was not pretty, you know, because yeah. there's, you know, I, I work with artists in the studio. It's like, and all of a sudden that's gone. Yeah. So we had to reinvent ourselves and we started like working, like doing mixes with people from remotely. I even started doing vocal sessions with people remotely, you know, wow. through Zoom. And it just, it kind of grew to the point where we were probably back to maybe 70% of our old business all all remote. And mm -hmm. then that part of the business has stayed going. And then the other part of the business came back. So like this year I've been, it's, I can't even keep up. It's insane. I, I'm a hundred <laughs> hours a week, but yeah, knock on wood because it always changes, you know, it's a feast right. or famine thing. But anyway, yeah, it's, you know, so we do, people will send us stuff and we'll, you know, Cariotti's like a brilliant um, editor. He'll, he'll tighten things up, but not to the point where it's like robotic. And I'll add some layers of my thing and like you know we we stay respectful to the artist's vision and we'll give them back two versions one exactly how they sent it and one with enhanced and uh that's really taken off people love it that's so cool so 
what how does that work then? So I, I kind of imagine, you know, I, I also yeah. ner- like to nerd out on business stuff sometimes. Oh, no, yeah, it's so, so cool. So like, so how are you structured? I'm assuming like you're, you know, the head yeah. of the company of sorts. Yeah. And then yeah. you've got, you've got employees, like you said, you've got overhead and space. Like, yeah. how do you go about getting these clients? Are they coming from word of mouth or are they coming because they've heard records you worked on or who are they? Where are they coming from? All, all that, all that, mm-hmm. you know, um, you know, when you've done, been doing it as long as I have and your name is on like so many records, people have like, they, they, they'll look, they actually look, I'll, I'll get out of randomly. I'll get somebody, you know, uh, DMing me on Instagram. Oh my God, I found you. I'm such a fan. You know, I, like Nuno Betancourt's schizophrenic album is my favorite album of all time. And I see you co-wrote and produced that album. And, and yeah, it, it's like, it's like a snowball kind of thing, you know, and I have management and they, they help me. Um, it, it's, it's, I think word of mouth is probably 88%. Mm-hmm. And the other 12% is, you know, like people just stumbling across something on Instagram or, Twitter or, you know, people find me like just stuff like this podcast, you know, and the thing yesterday on my Instagram feed with, uh, Elio, yeah. um, entertainment, like they find that and then they start digging in deep and like, Oh my God, this guy did this. Oh wow. I love his stuff. You know? Mm-hmm. So, you know, I've had a couple of DMS just today, um, from the thing yesterday. So yeah, it's, that's, it's all that, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's an interesting thing. So do you, when you work on a project for a client, and I imagine this probably varies depending on who it is, but do you, go, okay, I'm going to charge, you know, this, this much for this, you know, this much an hour or this much a session, or do you say, uh, I know I want production credit and get the residuals later. Like, how do you usually work? Yeah. My manager, Alan Stewart, um, who's been, God, he's probably 15 years at least now, um, handles all that stuff. And I, I stick to the musical side and he does all the business side and he, he's very flexible with people. He's really experienced at feeling out what they want to do and Mm -hmm. he'll, he'll, he'll make a proposal that kind of bridges the gap between what they want and what we want and it'll either work or it won't, you know, it's like, right. And there's never any hard feelings. So yeah, I, I like to actually distance myself from that because for me, it's kind of, I don't know, it just kind of ruins the the vibe. I, I hate business. I do. Yeah. I really do. <laughs> you know, you know, and there's, yeah. there's, it's, there's always a way to make it work. I'm generally, if I, you know, there's a way to make it work. Right. That's really cool. Cause yeah, it's, I, the thing, the weird thing about the music world, and why and why I do like to nerd out on that side a little bit is, um, this is obviously less of an issue with yourself, but with on the artist side, I find that it's just sort of a repeating pattern of artists kind of getting, they either get you can view it as they're getting taken advantage of, or you could view it as, uh, the you know artists just have a tendency not to re- read the fine print in contracts and things, and it's yeah, there's just, a lot of that, you know, they, and, and you they, do feel bad for for people for that reason. Yeah. You got to be careful. You do, you know? Yeah. I try to say that I talk about it on the show probably too much, but I'm always like, read the fine print, check yep. things out. I've, I've, I am not a lawyer, but I have read a lot of contracts at this oh, point. Some and, bad ones. Yeah. <laughs> sometimes it's like, why did you agree to that? Why yeah. they're not, you're giving them money for no, absolutely no reason. And that's what people want. But that's I not was, what an I, artist should I, do. I actually had this top. I talked about. To, I was talking to Billy Corrigan in the driveway one time from Smashing Pumpkins. He's been nice. here. He's been here a lot, and he he signed like a seven year deal when he was like nineteen or twenty, and it's like seven years at that point wow. in your life is. I mean, that's like that's the prime of your life. So it's like yeah. you know he has a lot of regrets over that. I mean, there's a lot of things you know that didn't go exactly as he'd wanted. But you know, I mean, just so yeah, you 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 know you you think you're getting this holy grail opportunity, but you have to really pay attention to how long you're going to be involved and how much money you're going to owe when they spend all this money on you in videos. They spend more in the videos than they spend on the album. So you know mm-hmm. all that stuff. But it's all that, changed. That's it has it's changed a lot, and I think artists are in general a little bit more educated than they, they used are. to be. And I hope that continues. And I feel like uh, I feel like the hip hop world has actually driven a lot of that because a lot of those guys are about their business, you know, and they'll talk oh, about it. You oh, know? and they and they're really good at it. I mean, <laughs> it's, it's, they monetize everything, and they, you mm-hmm. know, it's good for them. You know, it's like a, it's it, you know, I I used to only work on a day rate, but like the past couple of years with all the way things have been, we've learned to come up with flat rates that work. You know, and that's that that can be a real double edged sword because you know you you get a specific thing and it's you know it's like a flat rate and then like you, you end up like doing 800 revisions and taking like you know extra days like you're you're really losing money every day you're here after that you know so right you're taking you're taking a risk when you do that but i've found it's necessary to compete nowadays like people mm-hmm. don't want an open-ended like 
blank check thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, the budgets the budgets ain't what they used to be. That's no, for sure. No, that's for sure. <laughs> but I mean, also the budgets aren't what they used to be. But you can do a lot more yep. uh, than you used to be able to by yourself. Or exactly, you know, it's yeah. That's, that's why a lot beautiful. of our clients come to us like with stuff that's half done or three quarters done or whatever. You know, so that's a big big side of our business now which never used to be you know that, that's super cool that's yeah. super cool well let's uh because you know like i've, I've tricked everyone into thinking this is a guitar podcast let's, we can get uh, into guitar stuff let's get let's get into some guitar stuff yeah. what are what are some of your go-to guitars right now well i mean i just became a cower endorsement um ah doug's endorsee. awesome yeah yes. doug's doug's amazing he's uh that guitar like changed my life i mean it was like okay i have all these great old guitars. I mean, I have like, I mean, I can't show you the picture, but I, it's, I have a room full of guitars. I mean, mm -hmm. I, they're everywhere. And I love old harmonies with flat wounds and, you know, like I like a lot of funky, weird stuff. I got a Hagstrom with like, it's got sliders on it and it's got all these <laughs> crazy weird. And I get like really awesome sounds. And I got used to doing that, you know, the last 15 years. I mean, I like quirky beat up old guitars. I got a K from the fifties with Kleenex box pickups. I mean, yeah, heard those? I love those. I love those. Dude, that, that stuff. It's, it's, it's wonderful. But then I got, you know, this is that tower. a speed demon. Is that what that one is? Which one? The K, K? speed. It's the K speed demon. Is that the one? Uh, I have to about? show it to you. It's a big wooden thing. <laughs> okay. All right. I played it's, the speed demon one time and I, I should have bought it. It's nuts. Uh. And I bought these, a lot of them in the 90s, in the 2000s when they were affordable. Like all these guitars from the 50s and 60s, it's insane now what's happened. But anyway, I, I played the, the, Doug, the guitar that Doug made and it was like, it was like I'd been driving like um, a standard transmission <laughs> my whole life and then I finally got power steering. <laughs> I literally was like, what is this? I mean, I was like, you know, it was weird. I mean, it really messed my head up. So I was like, and I felt bad for my other guitars because I, I it's like I started neglecting them all. <laughs> <laughs> what, uh, what model do you have there? It's, I have a Banshee, uh, deluxe. It's, nice. Uh, it's so uh, beautiful. It, it's yeah. But the sounds, I mean, he's got these, you know, out of phase options and things and the pickups are the, they're the, um, filtertrons. Mm -hmm. Um, but the way he's got them like wired, it's like, I can get like, it's insane how many different tones I can get, uh, you know, like of a, say an overdrive pedal. We can talk about some of my favorite overdrives and stuff too, but you know, one pedal and one amp and that guitar, it's like, I can literally get 50 sounds, you know, it's like before I never, I felt like, okay, you plug it in and you got that and that, you know? Mm -hmm. So yep. yeah, it's been a life changing thing. That's awesome. Doug's, Doug's been on the show. Oh, two cool. Or, two or two or three times. Uh, yeah, I know him pretty well. He's a, he's a great guy. I love. Oh, talking to I'd that like guy. to get to know him more. We've been kind of you know getting to know each other better through DMs and stuff. But I would uh, I'd like to see that. I'll go back and look at that one. Yeah, yeah, he's fun. This most recent one was really really good because he it kind of for people who don't know about the difficulties of running a guitar business. Oh, it's uh, hard. He yeah. was he was very open and and talked about a lot of the struggles and challenges with that. And that was uh, I think really important for a lot of people who think they want to start a guitar company like yeah no, to, to compete <laughs> to compete with somebody like him it's like it's really difficult you know yeah um, but his, the thing he did with the plec and all that stuff is like another whole i think that's part of the reason why the guitar plays like like something like that you know mm -hmm. I mean, you know all that stuff the technology behind it is different yeah it's good it's good stuff I, doug's awesome um but yeah let's let's move down mm -hmm. the rig a little bit so yeah. what's what are some of your favorite drive pedals you've mentioned um I've got to look over here. I've, well, I, I have a custom Pete Cornish that was made for me Ooh, by Pete. And, what? Um, yeah, yeah. Oh, it's the, man. This, I'll start at the top, you know? Yeah. Um, so it's a really funny story. So I was working, I think it was, I was working with Duran at the time. And um, I, somebody, like a salesperson for another audio company, I'd done like a, an article in EQ Magazine or Electronic Musician or something. One of the guy, have you ever heard of Pete Cornish? And I'm like, no. Mm -hmm. And he's like, well, he makes these pedals in his kitchen with his wife and they're like incredible, you know? And I'm really, he's like, oh yeah, he does them for like Gilmore and all these people. So he put us in touch with each other. And I talked to him on the phone and I said, yeah, I like, you know, I explained all the different kinds of things I like. I, I, I have old tone benders and old maestros. I'm into crappy old fuzz and stuff. I like, I, you know, it's always been part of my aesthetic, you know, the Pulp Fiction vibe, you know? And, um, He's like, well, what do you love? And we, we just started talking about stuff. I said, well, I like my tone bender mark too, but it's like really noisy. And like, I like, you know, like my meatball from love tone, but it's like, it's, it's, you know, you know, so we just talked for a while and he says, I'll tell you what, I'm going to send you a pedal and I want you to play around with it and tell me what you think. And I said, oh, that's cool. So this pedal comes in the mail, you know, from, I think the other guy actually 
forwarded it. Our, the, the guy that, uh, Ron Berger was his name. I just remembered his name. I can't believe that. <laughs> anyway, uh, yeah, it's funny how your brain works. And uh, I got the package and I opened it up and, it, and on the side it says Jubilee Concert, Paul McCartney, like whatever it was for the, and I'm like, oh, and I'm like, cool. It was black and I had a blue light and I plugged it in. I was like, oh my God, this is insane. It was like crazy sustain and warm, cushy fuzz. It was like nothing I'd ever heard it for. So, you know, we got, we got, I got him on the phone and he said, you like it? I said, I love it. I, I love it. I said, I, I, I tend to like something a little more uh, uh, with like a, a dirt overdrive and less of the the massive fuzz because I've got all that stuff. You know, I'm right. looking for something a little more versatile. He's like, okay, I'm going to make you something special, you know? Mm-hmm. And uh, so he built me one and it's just called an Anthony J. Rest of Fuzz. And uh, he sent it to me and um, and I loved it, but it was gray and it had an orange light. So he, he says, do you love it? I said, I love it, but I kind of got used to Paul's because it was black and it had a blue light. And he goes, <laughs> oh, you're one of those. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, I mean, I sent back Paul's, you know, you know yeah. I would have liked to have kept both of them. How cool would that have been to have a, a, a McCartney fuzz? You know? Hey, you got to play it though. I mean, yeah, that's the- <laughs> I know it's the one they used on Sergeant Pepper's. You know? What? Are you yeah. serious? Yeah. Oh, wow. You know, I, I mean, not the original, but like that's right. the, the design, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And his stuff. I mean, if you can't, there's a sticker on it that says if you crack the sticker, you know, you war- you know, you lose your warranty or whatever. Like mm-hmm. he doesn't like people opening them up, but I'm sure somebody has. Um, but they're probably all gooped up, you know. I've seen I've seen some some Cornish insides and I I don't remember it was so long ago, like a deep in a gear page post somewhere and it was like one of those things where it's like, is this real? I don't know yeah, if this he, is real. Or he's not, a mytholo- you know? mytho- mythological level. But then yeah. there's there's a lot of pedals like in that mythological space and we can go through some of those like i i'm sure you know the zen drive the early 2000s mm-hmm. zen drive with alf's signature on the inside yep um that thing is like it there's some kind of soul in that thing it does have something i don't know what it is i guess people say it sounds like a dumble i've actually got to play around with dumbles i was working at um a studio it was paul allen from microsoft has this studio in beverly yeah. hills yep. it's like you know 50 feet of glass. It's like, and everything moves like electronically. Yeah. Cause he's a and, huge music nerd and guitar yeah, player. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. He, he actually died, I think uh, a couple of years ago or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so yeah, yeah. I, I worked there with uh, on an orchestral version of a Duran Duran track, uh, ordinary world. And I, and I, I and there was, there was like all these $60,000 dumbbell amps flying around. It was like, it was crazy. So, I mean, I've, <laughs> I've actually got to hear what they sound like, but I, I couldn't do it like right next to the Zen drive to see how close it was. But that's what I hear that it's supposed to be. Mm-hmm. Um, and that one's, that's a, an amazing drive. Um, the Chandler Germanium. Mm-hmm. Yes. The, the blue one with the, with the two channels. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it takes two 9-volt batteries. That thing, I just love that thing. It sounds like a, like a Beatles console. Like it's like, you know, Revolution or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then um, I'll keep going if you want. Can I keep, keep going? Keep going. Yeah. Keep going. Your favorites. Uh, just hit um, me with your favorites. Broadcast, yeah. uh, UK, Hudson, UK, the broadcast. Oh. Those are awesome. I can't believe I don't own one yet. Dude, I played his, it. anything it's from him. So he good. made me he made me a custom pedal too, which was uh one side was a tone bender and the other side was an OC seventy five something. Um, but it you can play with the two channels and mm-hmm. it's like he makes like his stuff is just I don't know what it is. It's great. Hudson UK. Yes. Um and let's see, we're still on overdrives. I, I have some Death by Audio stuff, um, Fuzz War, um, Supersonic Fuzz Gun. Uh, yeah, some of Here's the, one. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I love his stuff. Yeah, his stuff's great. You know, super cool. I have to actually walk around a little bit to see. There's so, dude, I have, I'm kind of addicted to Fuzz and Overdrive pedals. I think I have like, I don't know, less than 50, but not much less. Right. Um, it's hard to find one that I don't have. I, I, li- I like Plumes by uh, Earthquaker. I, oh yeah, it's it's a great pedal. You know, mm. you don't have to spend zillions of dollars to find cool stuff. Um, a lot of the vintage ones. Um, I have a vintage USS one, which is this giant Oberheim thing. I don't was, know what that is. Yeah, it's it's about this big, and it's got mm-hmm. like these channels on it, and it's got sliders, and basically it's like all the early Maestro f- pedals in one. So Tom oh. Oberheim designed it like 70, 1971. So it's got like a sample and hold filter thing. It's got a fuzz. It's got a you know all this stuff, and it's and it's 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 nuts. I traded a Hammond C three for it. That's how rare it is. Wow. You know, I had no room for the C3 and this guy offered it to me. I'm like, all right, why not? (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, that's, and I love the old Maestro stuff. I've got, I've got uh, a couple of different incarnations of the original Maestro fuzz. And I'll say a nice plug for, um, for Maestro. They just got back in business and they sent me one of these FZM. It's, Mm -hmm. let me show it to you. I got it right here. Oh, he's migrating. 
Here it goes. Coming back. Out. Yeah, this one. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And mm -hmm. man, I was shocked. I was actually shocked at how good it sounded. It was, it's crazy. It's got a modern and classic mode and uh, it's beautifully heavy, well-made. I was, I was shocked. It was, I just used it on a project with um, this artist, Asia Renee. She's like kind of like neo soul meets trip hop. And uh, man, I, it's, I loved it. So yeah, I mean, I can go on like for hours on fuzz, <laughs> you know, I don't want to take up the whole podcast on fuzz if you can move on. <laughs> well, the thing is, is, is this fuzz is sort of my thing too. So. Okay. Yeah. Like, tell know, me about some of your favorite fuzzes. Uh, well, actually I just held up to the camera. The audience obviously couldn't hear it, but I, I love that death by audio, death by audio fuzz war. Um, this is actually fuzz war. I didn't realize this when I bought it. I just thought it sounded awesome, but I bought it years ago for uh, like a hundred bucks and it's death by audios fuzz war number 37 that they ever. Oh made. yeah. Yeah. Probably, so it's a probably goes for like 1500 or more now. I think they're at least like six, which I had no idea. I don't know. Actually, I haven't looked in quite a while. Maybe it's more than that. So yeah, that's I, cool. Uh, yeah, and it's 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 funny because it's like it was obviously it was sold. It still has a sticker on it. it was sold at Motor City Guitar for one fifty oh, at wow. one point. That's and it beautiful. Somehow made its way over to Portland, Oregon, where I grabbed it for ninety nine just because I thought it ripped. And now every time I post it, people are like, "You got a two knob fuzz war." I'm like, I didn't even know how uncommon that was when I first bought That's it. Amazing. I had no idea. <laughs> so I love one, his supersonic fuzz gun too. Yes, yes. I mean, their new germanium filter. I didn't think I was going to be that excited about it, but my dude, uh, uh, Stefan from uh, the Pedal Zone did a demo on it. And I was like, whoa, I might need to get that. I'll that have to sounds, check that one out. That sounds cool. There's a, but, one other fuzz, that really rare, weird one that I want to tell you about. There's a friend, I, I, this is a, another great story. I'm so full of these stories. I love it. I, I gave up alcohol in 2017 because mm -hmm. I, I, I had a tendency to buy stuff that I didn't remember buying. <laughs> I mean, and I'd wake up, I wrote a song called Black Eye in Brooklyn. You know, it's like, you know, you know, I, you wake up in Brooklyn with a black eye, you know? So like, it was only about 7% of the time. Like I was 93% like totally functional, but I, I, I you, know, you get to a point where you're like, I'm done. Okay. Mm -hmm. So that summer before I, um, before I gave up alcohol, I got a package in the mail and it was like, it was from Yuroslavl, Russia. Hmm. And, and, um, and I'm like, what, what is my wife's like, what's this? She used to live in Yaroslavl. She speaks Russian. She's American, but she, I'm like, I have no idea. And I opened it up and it was this crazy pedal, like with a patch bay and, uh, and all these patch points. And like, it was like a multi-channel delay fuzz thing made Whoa. by, made by this dude. Um, it's Isa, Esai and Aha. Yeah. Isai. Yeah. I, I, so we became friends on the internet and he, he built me this thing and sent it to me and uh, I love him and he's been going through a lot of hard times, you know, with mental health issues and he's, you know, chemical stuff and he's getting fixed up and, but his company, it's a great company to support because, and it's so his stuff, he sent me this thing called the Brom fuzz. I can't mm -hmm. even explain it. It's like nothing else I've ever heard. It's like, it's, it's a copaliptic. It's <laughs> yeah. I'll, I'll have to send you a clip of it anyway. So, yeah. Like I can go fuzz all day and I, I have all these wonderful friends that I've met in the pedal community on Instagram and you, you just want to, to name them all because you know, cascade totally. pedals makes that, um, MOSFET fuzz. Mm -hmm. It's just like the old green one, you know, the MOSFET, the green Ibanez one that's goes yeah. for like, Oh, insane. right, right. Yeah. 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 Uh, Tim, Tim Pierce uses those. And I, uh, you know, I, I work with Tim all the time, by the way, we're in the same neighborhood. I can, we go on walks together and stuff like we go, he's probably played on a hundred tracks of mine. I mean, he's, nice. he's an amazing guitar player and, uh, yeah, he's always turning me on to cool stuff, but, uh, yeah, this, so Cascade Pedals makes a, a really good version of that. So, yeah, so I, mean, I could talk, like I said, for the rest of the hour on fuzz, but we have to move on. <laughs> <laughs> so you, you mentioned that you got that Marshall and the Swart. Yeah. yeah. Is there yeah. any other go-tos that you have yeah. on hand? Uh, I love it. I have an old Supro. Uh, mm. It's, um, I think it's called a, it's either a Thunderbolt or a, I, I forget the name of it. I have to, it's a two channel, big gray thing. It's, mm -hmm. it's super loud, but it's clean, which is like, it's hard to make it distort. So, you know, it's great to put a fuzz pedal in front of it, obviously. And it's, right. it's really, really gnarly, very Jack White. And we can get nice. into those too. I mean, I've, I've got some early, uh, Supros, you know, the Rezo glass, like the sixties yeah. ones, uh, mm -hmm. a couple of those are one of my go-to like fuzz guitar sounds. You know, I love those things, you know, there's something about the Rezo glass and those pickups. I don't know what it is. It's just... what, Jack White really messed the market up on those, didn't he? Oh, he did. Cause back when <laughs> I bought mine, mine, well, 
One of them I got, I think for 600 bucks, it was a 64, a white Martinique. Wow. 600 bucks back in Mm -hmm. like 99 or something. I don't even know what they are now. They're like, they're like 328, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's yeah. A piece of plastic, you know. <laughs> <laughs> it's like it's it's really strange what that how that happens in the market sometimes. You know, I've talked about this on the show a lot, but I have an '81 Les Paul Custom uh, in white. Well, it's, yeah. now it's yellow, but it was white yeah, at one time, yeah. and I love that guitar to death. I got it a few years ago, and I I paid like right around two thousand for it. You yeah. know, pr- which I was was a fair. It wasn't like I got a crazy deal. It was a fair market price at the time. Yeah. And then Adam Jones comes out with that seven that silver burst uh set like his, the replica of his 79 Les Paul custom in yep. silver burst. And overnight, like all of a sudden, that Les Paul custom that I have in white is about 45 or, or five. And the silver burst yep. ones from the same era are like ten thousand dollars. Just all of a sudden, isn't it like, crazy? One artist can totally just jack the whole market up on something. <laughs> it's, it's wild, so, so yeah. Insane. That happened with Jack White. You know, I love his um, mm-hmm. triple fuzz or what that you know the what's that one with the three things on it? The Jack White. Oh, one? the uh, the uh, the triple graph. Yeah, yeah, triple graph. Love it. Yeah, yeah, love that I, one. Love I uh, actually did a whole interview with the Copper Sound guys talking about that whole process and how that came out. That was really a fun I read episode. about it. It was crazy involved, right? I mean, it was unbelievable. Mm-hmm. I was lucky to get one in the second batch. Uh, I, lo- nice. I, I, I love it. I love it. the octave thing tracks really, really amazingly. It was kind of funny because I didn't realize it at the time, but I got home from Nam, and then immediately, literally like got home, landed, and immediately got in the car and drove an hour to go to the uh, Rock and Tours concert. And I didn't know it at the time, but he was playing the prototype triple graph at oh, that wow. show. Yeah, so it was like, oh, I actually heard that in action when Alex was describing it to me. I was like, oh yeah, I was there at, at that show on that tour. That's so crazy. Well, do you, I, you might know my friend Heath that runs Boston Guitar. Do you know Heath? I don't. Uh, he, he runs Boston Guitar. He's like a mm-hmm. dealer for Copper Sound, and he got me one of those switches things that you know. The, it's like a you know the stutter in and out stutter. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And I love that thing too. Yeah, they're good people over there. Alex, yeah. is, Alex has been on the show a couple times and. Yeah, he's he's a great dude. So many wonderful people in the pedal world. It's really cool. It's hard. I to love do. the Chase Bliss stuff. Like, oh, uh, absolutely. Know, we can go and get. That's another whole realm, you know. <laughs> absolutely. Shout out Joel. Thanks for supporting yeah, the Joel. show, Joel. Thanks. Joel's Joel. the sponsor of the podcast. Thank you, Joel. Yeah, um, he's, yeah. He's great. Oh wow, we could. We're really going for it. I just realized what time it is, and I still yeah. have to dive into a couple of the classic questions. Okay. Uh, before we wrap up the main section of this podcast, we didn't even get onto choruses and delays. We'll have to save that for next time. <laughs> hey, we can do it again. Oh, this yeah, is we'll do this another is fun. One. Yeah. yeah, I enjoyed it. Uh, but before I get into the classic questions, I yeah. do like to give the guests opportunity to shout out anything they want to shout out. Uh, you know, if they got a project they want to plug, or if they want to shout out their you know, great aunt or whatever. This the the floor is yours. Oh man, I'll just shout out my four kids and my wife, my family. That's the that's the most important thing. Um, there you go. They're they're, they're amazing. My daughter uh, plays violin. She's actually the concert master of the LA Youth Symphony. Uh, she became that at eleven. Wow! And they're going to Carnegie Hall in June twenty second. So she's playing. I'm. I'll have to send you a clip of her. I mean, it just it blows my mind. And my son's. Uh, Really great um, pianist studying classical piano. He's nine. So we have little jams. I had Cameron Stone. Uh, he's a very famous uh, cellist who mm-hmm. does a lot of sessions for me. And he came over to the house and the kids, and they were like playing stuff like together as a trio. I'll send you a clip. It, it was like, I, I was crying. So mm-hmm. for me, it's like, there's nothing greater than family. So that's who I'm going to shout out. I have, I can go to my Instagram page to see all the other shout outs. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Perfect. I love my, it. My wife who puts up with me, that's, you know, she, she deserves a medal for that. I'm like, yeah, I'm like that. the extra kid. Like I never grew up. You know, that's why I'm, I'm crawling around on my hands and knees with pedals all day. I mean, how do you grow <laughs> up when you do that? You know? you know? Oh man. Yeah. I can, I can relate to that for sure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, we got the final questions and we'll, uh, we'll slide over to Patreon and get real weird. Okay. Um, okay. So the final questions, first one, what is your favorite boss pedal oh uh slow gear oh slow gear that might be that might eh, i'm not 100 percent on this that might be the first time the slow gear has taken the uh favorite boss pedal spot dimension d number two okay 
good good pulls. I like those. And I like how I when I originally started asking that question, I thought it would be something that people would go, hmm. No, everybody, almost everyone is like this one. Like they all yeah, have yeah, it you just know, right there. You know. <laughs> I like the feedbacker one too, I gotta say. Feedbacker is good. Yeah. Feedbacker is awesome. I love boss. Boss makes yeah. such, oh hey, look, a blues driver right here. Uh They're great. <laughs> I love boss. Okay. And this one. This is the controversial one. This is the okay. one where people get a little dicey. Families break apart. It's it's okay. a pretty serious I, question. I'm ready. Okay. Do I need to take a shot? Do I need to get off the wagon for this? <laughs> you, you might have to. You might have to. What is your favorite kind of pizza? Oh, uh, I've been gonna. I'm gonna go with uh, margarita on one side and pepperoni the other. Oh, all right. So you like a thin crust, a thicker crust? Do you have a favorite pizzeria? Oh, dude, I love so. I mean, I'm from Boston. We had the 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 North End of Boston, and Little Stevie's slice. Uh, it, you know, I like the New York style. Mm-hmm. Um, it doesn't. I like the deep dish. I like pizza, but I like on in Studio City Medici's. I love going there. Have you ever been there? I have it, not. Oh, it's it's they 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 have the big ovens and they just do it right there in front of you. And it's great. I, nice. I love pizza. I love pizza. Uh, who doesn't love pizza? Yeah, if if you best. don't love pizza, I can't be associated. With yeah, it. it's just, like if you don't listen to the Beatles and you don't like pizza, forget it. You're out. <laughs> You're out of the club. Get out of here. Go home. <laughs> I can do ham and pineapple on a pizza. I mean, I can go. We can go for pizza for like a long time if you want to go on pizza. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, then yeah, pizza petals. it's just a beautiful. Oh, that thing, thing looks so cool. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's. I mean, that question is yeah. why that petal. Or it's not why that pedal happened. It's why I was involved with it. It's like that's amazing. They, I ask that question onto every guest on every single episode, pretty much since episode, like I don't know, seventeen or something like that. I can't remember. How many do you have? How many episodes? What number is this one? Uh, I don't know. I think this will be two. This might be two eighty-eight. Two. Holy crap! You are a veteran. (laughs) Somewhere, somewhere in there. and then wow, I had no idea that it was that that long. Yeah, there's it's it's been it's been going since 2015 or 2016. I can't remember. I think 2015. Well, I'm I'm really thrilled and honored to be here. Yeah. Well, I'm I'm stoked to have you. This has been a great chat. Uh let's carry it over to Patreon. What do you okay, say? Sure. All right. For Anthony, this is Blake, and as always folks, good luck and good tones. All right, there you are. There you have it and there you go. I hope you enjoyed that episode. Please go check out Anthony on Instagram. He posts a lot of stuff over there. Please check out the bonus content if that is your thing. If you like this show and it does something for you and you'd like to help keep it going, patreon.com slash tone mob is the place to go where for $5 a month, you will get extra bonus episodes beamed to your ears every single week, including more chat with my dude, Anthony. We really had a good time over there. We got into some slightly heavy things. We got into a little bit of gear stuff. It was really, really good. And I think you will really, really enjoy it. So please go over there and check it out. And please support the show if you can. It's also available as a premium subscription option through Apple Podcasts. So if that's your format, you can check it out there. And that can work as well. Thank you so much. I'm serious. This... I don't mean to get too sappy, but there is a lot of chaos in the world, as we're all aware. And I'm going to address it at some point to the best of my abilities, but mostly I want this to be a break from that. Mostly I want this to be a place you can go and not hear about all the chaos that's happening. But at times I've got to address it and I've got to try to do my best to help, which is a pittance in the grand scheme of things. But It just is what it is. So please, please bear with me if I do end up uh, breaking character a little bit. Not that I'm really playing a character, but breaking from the norm and kind of getting into getting into some areas I'm probably not qualified to talk about. So uh, I hope you're all safe out there. I hope you all are doing well. Again, thank you so much. I appreciate you much more than you probably will ever know. So talk to you very soon. Stay cool. Stay rad. And uh, keep checking out the podcast. Bye-bye. One last thing before we totally sign off here. I just want to remind you that if you do any shopping at Stringjoy, that's Stringjoy Guitar Strings made in Nashville, that will help me out as well. As I've said for years, I'm heavily involved in that company. 
and I really do think they're making the best products on the market. So if you would like to try custom strings, go to ToneMob.com Stringjoy and check them out today. I seriously, seriously, seriously love what the team down there is doing. I help them out with all kinds of things, and by you supporting them, you are also supporting me as well. And hey, you need some strings, so why not get some custom strings just for your guitar and playing style? Again, the link for that is ToneMob.com Stringjoy, and that will take you right to their website, and you can do all your shopping through there, and that will help everyone involved out. So thank you very much. Talk to you next time. We are brought to you by the wonderful folks at Gun Street Wiring Shop. Yes, Gun Street Wiring Shop. I've talked about them before. I used to say based out of Bend, Oregon, but guess what? Sean moved to my neck of the woods. Sean's in Portland. Sean is awesome and has helped me with a bunch of stuff lately. And if you have wiring needs for your guitar, he can help you too. If you want to get weird with it, he can get weird. If you just need to spruce things up a little bit, there's your guy. He takes all the guesswork out of doing your guitar wiring, and he makes it simple, and his customer service is top-notch, and I can't say enough good things about Gunstreet as a company. I really respect Sean and what he's all about, and the product is top-notch. I've got three different guitars that now have Gunstreet harnesses in them, and I could not be happier. So go to GunstreetWiringShop.com and check them out.